Good morning, King of Kings. God, it's good to see y'all. First of all, I want to say thank you. Um, Pastor Doug said it well last week, that the staff really appreciates the support, the love, the cards, the prayers, the meals. Did I forget anything? Just thank you for the way you cared for us. Um, it's been quite a January. Little did I know on January 3 when I preached that I'd be the next guy up again January 31. So thank you for being the church, and thank you for showing us the love of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 1 this morning. How does Mark 1 begin? It begins with a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. Then John the Baptist shows up, and we learn right away that John does not dress from Brooks Brothers. He's a little more rustic than that. John, we are told, baptizes the entire countryside. And after that, he baptizes Jesus. Jesus is driven out into the wilderness there, and in one verse, he is tempted by Satan, has wild animals around him, and angels minister to him. Mark gets that all done in one verse. And then from there, Jesus preaches, calls disciples, and then we are at the beginning of today's gospel, verse 21. Now, what did we just learn about Mark? He is a man of action, not words. There's nothing extra in this gospel. Mark's gospel is written about 65 A.D. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It's only 16 chapters long. We're told that Jesus and the disciples go to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is an upper-end Chesterfield, okay? They've even got their own mall up there in Capernaum, and it's a really nice area on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. Notice this about Mark's Gospel. Man, there is no fluff in this story. There are no angels, no shepherds, there's no manger, there's no grumpy guy running an inn, there's no genealogy. Mark says, let's get on with it. Let's tell the story of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine these disciples? Okay, some guy walks through your fishing village and says, come follow me, and you say, okay. Well, don't you think eventually they ask, who is this guy? Who is this guy that we've decided to follow? What does he believe in? What are we going to do? When's lunch going to be? I mean, let's get practical. Notice, we don't hear again from the disciples anywhere in this gospel lesson. Now, I first started looking at these lessons when I was in uh, quarantine, doing my time. And um, I got to that Old Testament lesson, you know, Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell sermons. And um, decided I really, you know, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies, doesn't get to go in the Holy Land, and I didn't want to preach on that. So I went to the second lesson, and it's about not eating meat offered to idols, and I thought, what am I going to tell you? Don't go to McDonald's. You know, 
I couldn't relate to that. So I thought, oh man, there's going to be something good in the gospel lesson. So I get to the gospel lesson. It's the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and Jesus casts out a demon. I hate preaching on demon stories. I got to be honest. Hey, tell me, okay, just tell me, who here has ever seen a demon? Yeah, that's what I thought, because if you had, you were coming up to preach in a minute. Yeah, none of us have. So how do I preach about demons if we've never seen one or we've seen them on TV, right? That is not helpful imagery to think about what we see on TV. Okay, let's go back to why does Mark start his gospel this way? What's happening in Mark's world? Rome is falling apart. Nero is emperor. The temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. Christians are being fed to the lions. It is not uncommon to have somebody knock on your door, break it down, and they pull you out and they put you on a pole and light you on fire for grins. I don't even need to ask for volunteers for that, do I? Yeah, man, that's horrible. So these are the people Mark is writing to. They are terrified, frightened, scared people. And can you hear their questions? They're asking, where is Jesus? Why is Jesus letting this happen to me? You ever ask those kind of questions? Why is Jesus letting this happen to me? Let's play Jeopardy for a minute. Okay, the answer is a lion. What's the question? The question is, what animal is most associated with the Gospel of Mark? Oh, you're just holding back on me, right? Isn't it amazing that the church would pick the lion, the very animal that Christians were fed to, that the church would pick that animal as a symbol of power and hope and promising. It comes from that first line of the Gospel of Mark about a voice in the wilderness. They somehow associated that with a lion prowling around the desert. Okay, let's try one more. The word is immediately. That's your clue. Immediately. The answer is, what's Mark's favorite word in his gospel? If you were a student of Greek, and I don't profess to be one, it's used 10 times in chapter 1, 41 times in his gospel. It's only used 58 times in the entire New Testament. Immediately, euthus, E-U-T-H-E-U-S in the Greek. It means immediately, now, not later. Don't let the grass grow underneath your feet. You can see why Mark uses this word. He says to people, God is doing something now. God is present. God is not just thinking about things in heaven. He's here among you to be with you. 
Okay, let's see if we can say a couple things about what this story about the demon-possessed, evil-spirited, whatever guy has to do with us. We're told that when Jesus gets to Capernaum, he says to the disciples, hey guys, let's go down to the synagogue and see what's shaking. You know, maybe we can find something fun down there. So Jesus goes down to the synagogue and he begins to teach. And this is not unusual for people to stand up and begin to teach in the synagogue. And the people say, whoa, he teaches with authority, with authority. Now, what does that mean? That is a shot right at the scribes and the Pharisees. This Jesus doesn't give the same time-tested, well-ordered, trite, used answers that the scribes and the Pharisees are always offering up. That when this Jesus preaches, he preaches about life with God the Spirit of God, the power of God, what God can do in your life. Now, we're told, Mark says, that in about the seventh row, one, two, three, four, now that's a taped off row here. In the seventh row, there's a guy with a demon. He's a member of the synagogue. And he says, what would you have to do with us, Jesus? And it's the strangest thing. He knows who Jesus is. He calls him a holy one of God. How about that? You know, read through the Gospel of Mark. It's, it's short. Nobody in the Gospel of Mark knows who Jesus is. The disciples don't. The people don't. The Pharisees and the scribes don't. Not even Peter gets it right. Nobody knows who Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark except demon-possessed people, people with evil spirits, whatever that is, and the sick. Those are the ones who know who Jesus is. Okay, now let's get real personal for a minute. Let's you and me enter into this gospel lesson. Okay, let's make this our gospel lesson. We're sitting in the seventh row here at King of Kings. Tom will even take the tape down for you if you want to sit there. And here we are in church being good Lutherans, kind of soaking up the atmosphere. And all of a sudden, Jesus is here. Jesus is here teaching ever thought about that? That's what this story's really about. That wherever we go in life, no matter what we're about, no matter how prim and proper we want to look, I mean, don't you think Pastor Chinberg and I look pretty cool all robed up? You know, you can't hardly disagree with us when we're dressed like this. That we put on our best when we come to church. But isn't it something to think that Jesus Christ knows our worst? Knows the very things I don't want you to know about me. The very things I wouldn't maybe even share with my spouse 
about what I've done and said and thought in this world. And Jesus Christ knows all of that about me. And yet he loves me. And he calls me his own. Think about it. Don't we put on our best when we come into church? Our best attitudes, our best behavior. And if the truth be told, what do we do with the fear and the anxiety? Man, I've been locked away almost a year. I don't know how you're doing with that, but it, I'm on jigsaw puzzle number 22. Okay, my sister and I are having a contest. She's in Salt Lake City. You know, and we swear that when this is over, we're going to sell these puzzles and never do another one. Yeah. And we tuck that all underneath the bed. All the things, it's just so we can look prim and proper. And yet we're met by a word of grace and forgiveness. What does Jesus say to this demon-possessed guy? He says to the demon, come on out. Come on down. The price is right. And the demon was wheeling, wailing, gnashing of teeth, whatever else, comes out. Are we ever told what happens to the guy who had the demon? Nah, that's the Bible's way. Never know what happened to all these people. The point is, Jesus, Jesus did it. What would happen if Jesus said to you and me, come out? What would come out of us? The guilt, the fear, the anger, all those things. Oh, it'd be what I thought and said when the guy cut me off on so I'm driving to church this morning. Don't you know I'm a minister? Yeah, all the humanness of life would come out. What's the most powerful thing that Pastor Chimberger or I can do for you. Most powerful thing. It's not turn water into wine, in case you're, you know, King of Kings, our church of the Chardonnay. Nah. It's not turn water into wine. Most powerful thing we can do, and you heard Noah reference it in his children's sermon. Most powerful thing we can do is announce to you your sins are forgiven. That nothing stands between you and your Lord Jesus Christ. That nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that so? Jesus says, Come out. Come out of you folks. And out comes our bigotry, our hate. All those attitudes we have about other people and things in this. How about our precious political opinions? And there's sure been a lot of those floating around lately. All comes out. And it's all forgiven in the name of Jesus. That we are turned around. That we face Jesus and we discover again how loved we are. Now, this is a strange sermon for me. i got to be honest with you. I haven't told you one story today. And I love to tell stories because I think we learn from stories. But I went and looked for a good demon story. 
Okay, and it went right along the lines of who here has ever seen a demon. Okay, the only demon stories I found are the ones where somebody's head spins around around 27 times and they throw up green stuff. And that just didn't bring anything helpful to this conversation. So we're back to that question of the day, who is this guy? Well, who finally gets it right in the Gospel of Mark? The centurion, the soldier, the very guy who fed Christians to the lions, the very guy who tore Jesus' side open with a spear. He stands at that cross and says, surely this was the Son of God. Who was that guy? That's Jesus. The one who loves you and me and calls us his own. Who is that guy? It's Jesus, and he goes the way of the cross to love us and call us his. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.